This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have Yankees Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Al Santasiri. Hello. What's going on, Al? And we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's up, Nate? Joining me in a little bit, we're going to have MLB.com's Brian Hoke to help us kind of, you know, get ready, I guess, for what's going to happen in the next couple of months. We're going to preview a little bit of the off season, the hot stove season, whatever it's going to be. And obviously the reason we're moving in this direction is because we are recording this on Wednesday. And last night, the baseball season for 2020 ended. You could say, you know, you're sad that baseball's gone. You could say you're relieved that 2020 baseball is gone. You can say you're confused because of what happened after the game with Justin Turner. I think those are all fair arguments, but guys, you know, I, I'm curious what, what you thought about kind of everything you saw last night. For me, I mean, you know, first off, congrats to the Dodgers and in particular Clayton Kershaw. You know, he's one of the good guys in the game. I was I was happy for him to see him get a ring. You know, John, you and I talked about this a little bit offline, how, you know, usually when you watch that final out of the World Series, it's a bit, you know, a bit sad because, you know, baseball season's over and it's going to be a few months until you see any any meaningful baseball again. But last night, you know, seeing uh, the MLB execs running around and instead of handing out, uh, you know, championship hats or T-shirts, they're handing out masks. I just had a sense of, yeah, let's let's put this season in the rearview mirror and uh, start looking ahead here. I feel the same way. To me, it's kind of a it's a it's a microcosm of of everything, you know, kind of bad that's happened in 2020, which unfortunately is is quite a bit, and 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 the negative things that have happened obviously go far beyond baseball and are more important than baseball in terms of people's lives and and things like that. (laughs) Um, But, but I felt the same way. It was, it it, kind of symbolized to me, you know, an opportunity to turn the page and really look forward to 2021, which obviously there's still uncertainty surrounding, but there's hope that it will be better. There's hope that it'll be safer. There's hope that it will be closer to uh, what we, you know, what 2019 was all about. And um, hopefully the year after that will be, you know, even closer, you know, than, than 2021 and so on and so forth. So, you know, I've said on this podcast before, it's a, it's a certainly a dark time, but, you know, you have to be mindful that 
and hopeful and mindful that things are, are not going to be like this forever. Things are going to get better. And, you know, we had a lot of great, great things that happened this year, despite all the bad things, but certainly, you know, a lot more prior to this year. And, and I think there's going to be a return to that. So that, that's what I thought, as, uh, which is similar to what you thought, Nathan. I think I saw a quote from Justin Turner last night. And again, obviously, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday that, you know, he, he kind of experienced every single emotion in the world uh, as that was going on, you know, all the highs and the lows, obviously. And I, I agree with him. And I don't think I mean that in necessarily a charitable way to him, because I think I know I've said this some somewhat on the podcast. I know I've said it way more to you guys in private. I was obviously extremely cynical about this season happening at a lot of times. I didn't think it was going to happen. And yet, every every step along the way, I was kind of proven wrong in a lot of ways. When summer camps are opening and I was saying to people, I'll believe that there's going to be a season when the first pitch is thrown by Max Scherzer. And then it was. And then the Marlins outbreak starts happening. And I thought they were going to shut it down right there. And then the Cardinals outbreak happened and, and same things. And every every time along the way... I just never thought they were going to get to a World Series. And I spent so much of the game last night and so much of the postseason in general pretty much marveling at the fact that they had done it. And then it's like the game ends and my emotion goes from, oh, my God, they they pulled it off, they did it. And then just right away, it's like, I, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, John, though, I'm curious about your thoughts. Did you Did you marvel at the decision to take out Blake Snell when they did? <laughs> so I... I I think my answer is going to be a little bit complicated on this because on the one hand, I am not surprised that Kevin Cash did it. And I don't think Kevin Cash did anything wrong based on what the Rays do to get there. And I think I also want to point out very clearly, and I'm not the only one saying this, of course, but I I, I do think it needs to be said. There was a lot of like good versus evil talk last night in in the sense of you know, the Dodgers being one side of the spectrum and the Rays being the other side of the spectrum, ignoring the fact that the Dodgers bullpened their way through a World Series clinching game too, essentially. So so I think it's a little bit not as simple as this idea of one team relies on its stars to, you know, go deep and another team kind of tries to use smoke and mirrors. With that said, my issue with baseball over the past couple of years is that it seems like They've flipped the postseason model on its head. It used to be, in my mind, the stories we remember the postseason are the incredible individual performances, whereas the regular season was where you tried to, you know, the best teams. And by best, I mean, let's say the A's, for example, tried, or, or even, uh, and I'll say here, the Rays, tried to find every single edge that they could use to overcome ways that they weren't necessarily equipped to be the best by looking for those extra details that they could pull off. But, you know, the po- the postseason is when Don Larson, you know, there was a perfect game, and that's what you remember. Or Sandy Koufax does Sandy Koufax things. Or, you know, more, more recently, John Smoltz, Jack Morris, uh, Andy Pettit, all, all this, Mike Mussina. Aaron Boone. <laughs> sure, exactly. And I can say I do not find myself believing that Kevin Cash did anything other than what he was supposed to do last night. However, it's not good for baseball, in my opinion, if that's what the postseason becomes. Yeah, it's not as fun. That, that's for sure. It's not as fun, and you know, as you know, some of the uh, storylines kind of take shape, like the ones you just talked about. You know, whether it's Aaron Boone or Andy Pettit or Don Larson, you know, a guy who goes, you know, the whole way. Jack Morris, you know, that performance in '91. You think back on on those things. You know, those are the 
the storylines that turn baseball players into heroes, uh, sports heroes, at least. And I think that's kind of taken away with the way things are, are going. You know, there's, there's not so many heroes when each pitcher is going, you know, one or two innings. I think that's life in a way. Things don't stay the same. And, and, and that's the point I want to make as clearly as possible. The problem isn't that these teams are doing things, things that are wrong necessarily or are making bad choices. I compared it to someone last night. This is why it's not really fun to watch competitive poker in a sense, when you're watching the best people in the world at it. Because a competitive poker player can make the right move, lose, and know that he made the right move, but that if you watch him over the course of 10 hours, you're going to see the right move pay off. Well, frankly, that's not what the World Series is about. And let's say it worked last night. Let's say the the Rays forced a Game 7. I don't think anyone becomes a baseball fan because they got to watch Nick Anderson in that moment or Pete Fairbanks in that moment or things like that. That's just not... It's it's great it's great to watch competitors excel, but I don't I don't think that that's a thing that attracts like the next generation of fans. This idea of throwing thirty six pitchers at you in a game and you know seeing if there's one of them you can hit. And the problem is, and this is a big problem for the game. It's a symptom of perfection, not imperfection. The problem is that we've basically perfected winning baseball at this point. So what that means is things like launch angle. What that means is things like shifts. What that means is things like bullpenning and and using all of those pitchers in in those spots. All these things are analytically and statistically the right decision, and they make you more likely to win. And I think that's great. I think that's a fun thing about baseball in the aggregate. I do not think it's a fun thing about baseball in an elimination game. You know, so what we watch is a World Series game with something like, I think, 28 strikeouts or something like that because you have the best pitchers going. No one can hit. If they do hit, it's going right into a well-positioned and shifted outfield or it's going out of the park. <laughs> and home runs are great, but if that's the only time the ball is being in play, being put in play, it's just not a compelling product to watch all the time. And it's very frustrating for me because, again, I am not sitting here and saying, ban the shift or get rid of analytics or let's go back to the old days. I don't think that that's right. I just think that the problem is you have to figure out how, on the one hand, you have perfected the planning and execution of a sport in a way that makes it less fun to watch. Yeah. You know, I think where analytics kind of comes up short for me is that it seems to be heavily dependent on past results. Like, they're saying like, okay, you know, you look back at, at Blake Snell's season or, or his career and the third time through the lineup, you know, the hitters had better numbers against them. Okay. Well, what about how, how are his numbers the third time through the lineup when it's game six of the World Series and his team's depending on him uh, the way they were last night? You don't have analytics for that because it's never happened before. And so mm. it also doesn't take into account just kind of the the human emotional element of what does it do to that dugout when your your ace you're you're the best player on your team is now out of the game it's got to be deflating and and, and as all the dodgers said it was you know good for them they were excited and relieved to see blake snell coming out of the game (laughs) yeah sure so you know i understand that they they you know teams and the yankees included you know everybody depends on analytics and and through the course of a season uh yeah it informs a lot of right decisions but 
you know, when you hear every team say, when you, when you get to the postseason, you know, it's all hands on deck. How many times have you heard that? It's all hands on deck. So that means you're kind of throwing out uh, to an extent, you know, some of the stuff that got you to where you are. And, you know, I think sometimes it's hard. You know, I don't envy the, uh, the situation Kevin Cash was in last night. But, but the, pro- the problem, Nate, is where, where I'll push back on you, though, is I would say that the thing that Kevin Cash could say is that he didn't throw out what got him there last night. He did exactly what the Rays do all the time. And right. I think that, frankly, there's a credit, I think, that he deserves for not betraying his plan in that moment even if we all watch and disagree with it the, the the issue i think that you know the, the the fulcrum if you will on which you know this hinges is if you take a 162 game season if kevin cash made that move that exact move 162 times i think it would work out more than didn't work out so then statistically that's a good move the problem is in game six of the world series it didn't work and I think we all again we didn't we're not second guessing this after the fact as it happened every single person in the world was saying basically what are you doing and and I think that that's just again this battle between making the statistically sound decision and the decision that we want to see as baseball fans yeah. and it didn't work I think this would be a very different conversation if it did work and there's a part of me I don't really care whether it's the Dodgers or the Rays like you said Nate my favorite thing about this World Series is that Clayton Kershaw got a World Series ring. That was what I was watching for. But there, there is a part of me that is happy that the Rays didn't win, only because I don't think that I want to watch that baseball in the po- in the World Series. And I'm not suggesting again that the Dodgers all they did was just mash the ball and rely on six complete games and six games. They didn't do that at all. But there's just a part of me that just understands how the Rays got to the World Series and gives them credit for being the same team with their backs against the wall in Game 6 that they were on July 24th when the season started. But I don't want to watch that in the World Series. Hmm. To me, I I just think, yeah, you can rely on these sort of formulas to get you there, but once you get to the postseason, if you're going to say it's all hands on deck, then that means you know, you you got to go with your gut a little bit more. And uh, they didn't do that. It didn't work out for them, but we'll see if they continue to stick to their guns. Well, I hope things fall into place, and we're talking about our team being in the World Series next year. I'll add that. And uh, <laughs> whatever that means and however it happens, that's the foundation of <laughs> what would be good, I think, for, for our team. And hopefully that's the case, and we'll see how, um, you know, certainly how it plays out. Yeah, it's, it's been too long since we've done a World Series commemorative magazine, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's nice talking about how other teams uh, performed in the World Series. I take that back. It's not nice talking about how other teams performed in the, in the World Series. Hopefully, we're talking about you know how how our team uh, can perform in the World Series, and uh, I think it'll be soon. Watching that series last night, you could see, in the one hand, just two completely different in a lot of ways teams that were the two best teams in baseball this year, and what what I think that tells you is that. As we begin this, this true obviously the Yankees offseason started about two weeks ago, but as we begin now the real MLB offseason, we're going to sit there and we're going to look at everything Brian Cashman and his crew, everything that they do, and say, does this make 
you know, the Yankees more likely to win the World Series. And I think the funny thing is, I don't think that anyone would have said, you know, compared the Yankees and the Rays at the beginning of the season and said, well, obviously on paper, the Rays roster is the World Series winning roster because you just no. know. And so, and so he, here's to the next five months of analyzing everything within an inch of its life and just having to constantly remind people that we actually have no clue. <laughs> Sounds good. That's baseball, John. That is baseball. So speaking of baseball, I think that's a fine way to segue into talking about the Yankees, obviously. And as we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, I believe Yankees Magazine subscribers, by now you should have received a free gift from us, which is the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook. Inside that publication is a truly unique look at the 100th anniversary of Babe Ruth's arrival in New York, which was... Al, you chose a, a very special way to tell his story, and one that's even more special this weekend, or should have been more special this weekend as we talk about it now, because of one of the truly great moments of the international sports calendar, and certainly the New York sports calendar, the New York City Marathon. Of course, that's not happening this year, but I, I do hope that maybe people who miss the marathon will read your story, Al, because I don't think I've ever seen Babe Ruth's life story told this way. Well, thank you. It was uh, truly a labor of love putting this story together. It, it gave me the opportunity to combine my passion for running and competing in, in marathons and other races with another passion, which is, of course, the Yankees and more specifically, you know, the, the life and times of Babe Ruth. I've written a couple stories about him. And they're always fascinating. The research is is just amazing. And, and this story I, I start thinking about, <laughs> believe it or not, quite a while ago, like almost five years ago. And as I was running different races throughout the country, I started to think about how where I was actually running was kind of crossing paths, if you will, with not just places Babe Ruth had been, but some of the most important landmark destinations of his life, such as where he was born in Baltimore's Inner Harbor and where he was immortalized at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, you know, the first place he ever played professional baseball, uh, which was Providence, Rhode Island, and just real landmarks. And of course, Yankee Stadium and, and Fenway Park, there are two races there the two major league stadiums that he, you know, really carved his legacy in. So it kind of started off as an idea. And I wondered for a little bit if I could really execute it and make it happen and make it interesting. And, and then the more, you know, I kind of looked into his life and then kind of cross-referenced that with, you know, searching it, you know, is there a race in this destination? Is there a race in this destination? And the sport of running and the running community has grown so much that, when you look up, you know, different towns and different cities, it seems like there's a race almost everywhere these days, which is, which is pretty cool in and of itself. Um, and it allowed me to really kind of carve this, you know, this map of his life through running. Being somebody who only runs when it's absolutely necessary, um, you know, I, I, I was worried that, you know, to me, the only thing more boring than jogging is reading about jogging. So I was worried that, that a piece like this was going to put me to sleep, but it was the polar opposite. Like you broke it up into sections about each race and every one of them has like really interesting little anecdotes and, and it all just, you know, flows really nicely through his whole life and his whole career. Um, so it, it's clear that you know, it took a lot of legwork, so to speak, to, to make this all come together. 
what was the most uh, of all the races you ran that are that are discussed in this piece? Uh, what what was the most uh, challenging or the most difficult race that you ran? You know, the, the, there was no harder race that to run than the Boston Marathon. You know, I had run two marathons prior to that, including New York City Marathon in 2017, and had done that in a personal best time of, of four hours and one minute. And you know, everybody kind of told me how I needed to kind of step up the training for Boston and, and train differently. And I did everything that everybody advised me to do. I trained with New York Roadrunners, you know, that winter leading into the, to the Boston Marathon. And no matter how much I did, uh, and I succeeded, it was a great race. I did it in four hours and 42 minutes. And I was very proud of that. But no matter what, you know, however much you're prepared for a course like that, that is regarded as the hardest marathon course in the, in the world, really no amount of preparation, I think really truly prepares you physically and mentally. It was just that hard. You're, you're kind of on a downward grade for the first eight miles to the point that your, your legs are pretty much shot. And then you have to, to deal with the rest of the, you know, the balance of the mileage to get to 26.2, most of which is uphill, including uh, the famous Heartbreak Hill, which is the fourth of, of four hills that are, that are almost as, as challenging as, as each other. So it, it was tough. It didn't help that the day that I ran it in 2019, it was 72 degrees when, when I started with humidity that was almost 90%. So that was the most challenging one but of course, also the most gratifying. And what was neat about that from a Babe Ruth perspective, if you will, is that at uh, right around mile 24, the course goes past where the Boston Braves originally played or played when they were in existence. And that was where Babe Ruth played his last major league baseball game and signed his last major league contract. So you pass that, and, and that now is... Um, is a, a collegiate stadium, a collegiate athletic facility. And then a mile later, you pass Fenway Park, where the Babe, of course, played his first major league game. Um, and so that's kind of a neat, you know, thing at, towards the end of the race. And what was also neat was kind of doing the research. And you remember this, Nate, and finding out that the Boston Marathon has such a long history that I was able to actually find that in 1918, Babe Ruth was actually pitching for the Boston Red Sox in the early afternoon when the Boston Marathon runners passed by Fenway Park. So that was things like that were really, really special to kind of uncover and, and connect these races to the Babe. And I, I think uh, if I remember correctly, he was pitching against his future team that day, right? He was. I, I left that part out. You're right. He was pitching against his, his future team, the New York Yankees. And just, you know, while we're on the, the topic of like these really kind of crazy and interesting nuggets, one of my, my other kind of favorite things that I found out was, of course, you know, running, I, I had run the Baltimore half marathon in 2016, which ends right on Utah Street there at Camden Yards, where, of course, the Baltimore Orioles play. But what was really neat is, is kind of in doing the, the research was that I found out that everybody knows the babe was born in Baltimore and grew up there. And, you know, his, his childhood home, uh, his, his birthplace, excuse me, now is a, is a museum. And, but a couple of neat things that, that kind of came out of the research there was that when he was very young, his family moved to a house that was 
basically in the place that is now the outfield at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And another neat thing, and I found a couple articles that were, that were written by some Baltimore historians, was the fact that when he was a, a young child, and everybody knows he was kind of a mischievous child, uh, and getting into trouble and, and doing silly things, I guess you could say, <laughs> things we wouldn't want any of our children certainly to do. But he would go down to this like farmer's market in, in the inner Harbor and kind of mess with the, the vendors there, knock over their, you know, their uh, flowers and, and, you know, do s- silly things like that. And, uh, and then they would obviously not be very happy with that. And they would chase him back to his home. And what I realized when I kind of looked at that route, so to speak, is that that actually was like the last half mile or quarter mile of the Baltimore half marathon and the Baltimore marathon, which of course takes place the same day. So the babe literally did run those same footsteps from, (laughs) uh, you know, when he was a child. So that was kind of really neat to figure out. Obviously, he was running for a different reason than I was, but uh, still pretty cool. You know, obviously, I've written a little bit and and we've certainly spoken about some of the running that I've done and I kind of don't even pretend to run at the level you do. Um, I think I generally, you can double your time usually and get around to where I am. But one of the things that I really took away from my uh, marathon experience, the, the New York City Marathon that I did twice, is it's the closest you're ever going to feel like a professional athlete in the sense that people talk all about the cheering and the fans and things like that. And that's true. And and, and I certainly enjoyed that, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is maybe someday you'll get to play in a baseball game or a softball game or whatever on the field at Fenway park, but you're not going to be doing it during a major league baseball game. And -hmm. maybe if you're lucky someday, you'll get to play a round of 18 at Augusta national, but you're not going to do it on, you know, the Sunday of the masters. But when you're running the Boston Marathon or you're running the New York City Marathon or or any of these other races, you are running the world famous event that is also at the front of the pack being run by the best people in the world at doing it on the same track at the same time on the same day. And it's just that was the most remarkable thing to me was that while running the New York City Marathon, I could look at my phone at a push notification about the results of the event that I was participating in. I couldn't agree with you more. And it, it's, it's something you had talked to me about the feeling you get, you know, crossing over the Queensboro bridge into New York, into Manhattan, you know, during the New York city marathon is it's just seared in my mind. Uh, I've never heard cheering like that other than at a professional sporting event. And what was so unique about it was they were cheering for this amateur athlete. It's so special. It's so unique. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I always say to kind of piggyback on what you said, I'm never going to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, like you were joking with, with Nick Swisher on the Deep to, Left, uh, Deep to Left podcast the other day. You know, you're not a professional athlete. Neither am I. I'm never going to play in the Super Bowl or the World Series. But I did run the New York City Marathon and the Boston Marathon and the Philadelphia Marathon. And I didn't finish at the time that the, the professionals did, but I finished. The medal's the same, whether you finish in three hours, four hours, or, or five hours, or six hours, or whatever, that rush and that, that crowd noise and that excitement, it's hard to duplicate in almost any, any other aspect of your life. 
The story is Running in the Shadow of the Babe. You can find it online this weekend. And of course, as we mentioned in the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook. Al, awesome work on that one. When we come back, I will be joined by MLB.com's Brian Hoke to talk about previewing these next couple weeks and months and what you might be able to look forward to. So stick with us. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Jim. The Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Hey, folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Joining me right now on the phone, we have MLB.com's Brian Hoke. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm great. Look, I mean, we, we, we discussed this on the last segment. Without you, I, I imagine you know this feeling well. It's just that weird feeling of, uh, huh, so baseball season's over, huh? <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the strangest thing about it because we've actually had three off-seasons in one calendar year, if you think about it. We had the ramp up in January to spring training and then the shutdown for four months when we didn't know if baseball was going to come back. And then it did come back for 60 games and a postseason. And now we're back into what the off season would have been. So it's just, I mean, this is not breaking news to say 2020 has been a strange and bizarre year, but um, living it right now, I mean, it kind of feels like this is the time that it should be the off season. But on the other hand, uh, it feels like we've had way too much off-season already this year, so I'm not sure how, really how to make heads or tails out of this uh, this 2020 calendar. But that's a great point. This is the first day of the rest of the baseball world, in a sense, because we're no longer in a postseason bubble at a neutral site. We're no longer in a shortened baseball season. We're no longer in an expanded postseason. It's just, oh, right, we're in the off-season. Right, and that at least is somewhat familiar. Like, we've all been through a baseball off season and it has its own rhythm to it. It's just, we didn't get enough baseball this year. So it feels weird to be here. And, you know, I'm looking out the window now and the, the trees have all turned and they're starting. The leaves are starting to fall. They've actually already fallen. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be November. We're going to have a presidential election in the next week. And um, things are about to get a little more crazy, but as far as baseball goes, um, you know, this is where we should have been if everything went uninterrupted. The World Series would probably be over by now, and uh, we'd have a world champion, which we do. And, you know, unfortunately for the Yankees and Yankee fans, it's now 11 years running that they're not the last team at the, uh, the top of the mountain. But you just 
kind of look back at all this and say, wow, they, they got a, a season in and there is a World Series champion. No, it was not perfect and it was messy at times and it was ugly and we all had our doubts if they were going to pull it off. But uh, look, credit to Major League Baseball because they did get it done in the, in the end. And, um, you know, as I've been saying, I think I've said it on this podcast, 60 games is not perfect. It's not great, but I'll take it over zero. And so that's what we got. That is what we got. I think it's uh, interesting kind of generational situation right now that some Yankees fans are dealing with because, you know, it's been about 40 years at this point almost since the Yankees and the Dodgers were truly rivals. But, you know, Yankees fans of a certain age, not only do they remember those series of the late 70s and early 80s, but obviously, you know, you go back further to the 50s and when they were in Brooklyn. Whereas, you have a younger generation of fans for whom the Rays are this huge rival of the Yankees. So I think it's very, I was watching last night kind of amused, like how differently do different aged Yankees fans feel watching this play out? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, full disclosure, that was my World Series pick. And I think a lot of people picked that too back in February and March. We said the Yankees are going to play the Dodgers. I'm going to have this great New York, Los Angeles World Series. And we'll be at Chavez Ravine in, in late October and it'll be awesome. And then we'll go to the chill of Yankee Stadium. And, you know, we'll, we'll write about 7,000 stories about Reggie Jackson and the three homer game. And, um, it, you know, it kind of it was set up for that. You had these two juggernaut powerhouse kind of clubs with the big money and the big stars and they were primed to go head to head and you know as with everything this year it just didn't quite work out the way we thought it was going to and um, you know I certainly didn't see the Yankees uh, bowing out in the American League Division Series or falling to Tampa Bay a team that um, look they 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 outplayed them in the regular season they outplayed them in the postseason they were clearly the better team they deserved to go on but I think what we see now is and we've been seeing it, you know, going back to CC Sabathia and the whole showdown. But now I think it's to another level, this rivalry with the Yankees and the Rays, uh, especially in a year where Boston was basically out of it. They, they knew they were out of it. Um, the Yankees and Tampa Bay, that rivalry is something I think we're going to see for years to come. And look, I mean, of all the storylines to take from this World Series, I think a weird one for Yankees fans to take, even as they watch the Rays look so great for a lot of that series, is... Being able to watch Mookie Betts playing on the other side of the country in the other league, um, I think that moving forward, I think that's one of the better outcomes that the Yankees could have hoped for. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Aaron Boone said that a few times. I think Brian Cashman said that, too. Back in the early days of spring training when we were talking about that and um, just how happy they were to see Mookie get uh, that money and, and be locked up by the Dodgers and to be out there and um, not torturing them every time they went to Fenway Park and um, not having to see him 19 times a year and bringing him to the Bronx. I mean, he is the, you know, I, I feel like Red Sox fans are going to look at that one and, and be like, did we really give up Mookie Betts? And so, you know, good for him. Good for him to, to now win another title and um, to be on top because he is the, he's a heck of a player. The Yankees have seen it firsthand for a long time and, uh, now, at least fortunately for Boone and for Cashman and all those other guys, they're not going to see it except, uh, you know, the odd interleague series whenever we get back to that. So, Brian, I want to move forward a little bit because as we've alluded to at the start of this, it, it is the off season. It is essentially the hot stove season about as we record this, I think like an hour ago, a free agency technically began with the players being declared free agents who are you know, no longer under contract and things like that, which is really kind of the starting gun, if you will, for the hot stove season. 
so there's a there's a lot of interesting things that we could talk about in specifics and also in terms of things to watch for things that you know you you can help fans understand maybe about what these next few weeks are going to look like especially in these uncertain times i think is what we're supposed to say but you know one thing that i find interesting just to put a cork on last night for a second I think that whoever won this series, you were going to see two different narratives come out that I don't think was really all that fair. Because if the Rays won, you were going to hear about, you know, the triumph of the nerds and the triumph of analytics over everything, whatever. And if the Dodgers won, which they did, it's, you know, look at, as we just talked about, Mookie Betts and all these things, pretty much ignoring the fact that, as I mentioned on the last segment, you know, Dave Roberts essentially bullpenned last night's game and Andrew Friedman, obviously, you know, we know what his background is with the Rays. So right. I, I think there's a little bit of simplicity over there. What I, what I do want to ask you, though, as a means of kicking off this this next topic is, do you think in the way that baseball is very much a copycat sport, what do you think are the things that a team like the Yankees might take from the 2020 Dodgers as they look to build their 2021 team. Wow. Um, well, I guess I guess the first thing that comes to mind is the importance of starting pitching, and that that's the thing that Brian Cashman said straight out. The reason that they had that whole debacle with Game Two and trying Davy Garcia as an opener and then going to Jay Happ, he felt that they were forced into that because their starting pitching was susceptible. And now, um, you know, on paper coming into the year, you thought they were going to have starting pitching. You thought you were going to have James Paxton, uh, Luis Severino. You expected to get Domingo Herman back. Um, now, who knows about Paxton? He'll be a free agent, but you're going to get Severino back at some point during the uh, 2021. You get Herman back in spring training, and he'll have a chance to to come in and, and prove that he deserves to, to still be in the rotation. So you're, you're kind of building off that. You're, um, you know, Masahiro Tanaka, does he stay or does he go? Um, I, I guess – what you need to realize with the Dodgers is who is the Yankees, Clayton Kershaw. I guess it's Garrett Cole, but you got to have more than that. And um, so I, I think especially in this weird postseason that we saw without the off days, the teams that had the depth were really rewarded for that. And, um, you know, that's something that Cashman had said. If they had known at the time that that was going to be the situation, they might have made a move for a starting pitcher at the deadline in August. It didn't happen, and, you know, it, it played out the way that it did. So I, I still believe Cashman, as far as he says, uh, you know, pitching is the key to the kingdom. And um, you, you also had some hits on the the bullpen side. Adam Adovino wasn't what we expected him to be. Tommy Canely pitched one inning. Um, so you didn't get the full complement of everybody that you thought you were going to have going in. You, you typically don't anyway. So I think that uh, in a lot of ways, it's you got to build up the pitching on that side because we know this team is going to score runs. And they did. Um, they, they weren't as consistent as they could have been or should have been. And that's a big reason why they went home. Hal Steinbrenner said he was disappointed with the consistency of the offense and you know at the end of the day I still think pitching wins championships and look you can bullpen your way to it as you mentioned with Dave Roberts but man it's nice when you don't have to and you can just give the ball to your Garrett Cole in game seven or whatever it, it be and and just let it ride I still have a little bit of pro- of problem with some of this conversation I think just because and I'm not you know carrying water for Brian Cashman here it, it, other than the fact that you know, this is the Yankees Magazine podcast to so make of it what you will. But I know, I, I mean that seriously. It's like, I think he actually built a pretty deep pitching staff. It just didn't work out. Um, you know, I, I think that 
if you look at the guys who were not available to him in the postseason, I think they had a more than ready pitching staff that was built. It just things happen in baseball and teams get lucky sometimes. And 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 I'm not suggesting that's not part of the job to be deep enough that you can manage it. But sometimes you just got to throw up. I mean, for as much joy and fun as we had with the 2019 team where everything that came up from AAA or AA worked, mm-hmm. sometimes that's not going to happen, you know? And sometimes you have a terrible situation where a pitcher, you know, makes a horrible decision and gets suspended. Another one needs Tommy John surgery. Another one needs back surgery and go down the list like this. And, that's not necessarily bad planning on your part. That's, you know, a lot went wrong in 2020. Maybe you've noticed. The Yankees are just one function yes. of that. <laughs> I, I think that there's not too many teams that could withstand losing three-fifths of their rotation. As you mentioned, they were for a variety of reasons. But um, the rotation that they expected to have going into spring training, and those guys just disappeared. And the fact that um, you, you were able to still get as far as they did, I'm not celebrating the season uh, in any way, shape, or form. Like, this team should have won the American League East, and they did not. But uh, I think they withstood some significant body blows. Absolutely, and, and, and that's the point, I think. I think that the idea that the Yankees weren't deep enough, I think the actually the Yankees were deep enough. The problem is that the issues at the top made, instead of having depth to rely on, their depth ended up being their starters. <laughs> Depth is great until you have to use exactly. it. And, and, and then suddenly you're not deep enough anymore. And um, I, I think one good thing that we did see out of this year was that it accelerated. Um, we were probably not going to see Davey Garcia at the big league level this year. Um, we, we might not have seen much of Clark Schmidt. And the fact that uh, those guys, that Michael King came up and uh, got a bunch of time under his belt, I think that's just going to pay dividends down the road. And um, now that you can actually look at those guys on paper coming into spring training and say, all right, maybe Garcia is a fourth starter. Maybe he's a fifth starter. Maybe Schmidt, maybe King. You know, those guys are legitimately in play now as a result of this year, whereas coming into this spring training, it was kind of like, well, we'll take a look. We'll see what they look like. But, you know, we're not really counting on them. Now I think you you've seen enough that, you can legitimately count on them to be behind a Jordan Montgomery or somebody like that in the rotation and, and be a, a solid back-end option even here where Garcia is 21 years old and I think Clark is 24. And, um, you know, they, they're coming into their own. And um, I, I think they proved enough that they should be in that discussion. So obviously this is going to be a very strange offseason. We don't have clarity yet on what the world is going to look like in April of 2021 which means that we obviously don't have clarity in terms of what, you know, the, the game's financial system is going to look like. And everyone knows I don't need to, you know, be too careful, I think, when I say this, that 2020 was a difficult year financially for all 30 Major League Baseball teams, and the Yankees are certainly one of them. So I'm curious if you, whether it's from conversations you've already had or just from your experience looking around the league, what do you expect? How do you expect the market to play out in some sense? I think that teams are going to be very careful with what they spend. As you mentioned, uh, a lot of teams had to take out lines of credit. A lot of teams went into debt as a result of this year. You can't have 30 home games and no fans and turn on the light, do everything, the electricity and all that, and pay the players without taking a hit. And so um, did they – 
they made more money than they would have if they played none, but they all were still in the red for this year. Nobody was making a ton of money off this year, and um, the league did get the postseason done. That was really their main goal, so that was good for the game as a whole. But I, I still think that the uncertainty of 2021, we don't know if there are going to be fans in the stands on opening day. I can't promise you that they'll be there by the All-Star game, uh, if there is an All-Star game. So I do think we're going to have a more full year in 2021 because we kind of have an idea of what works and what doesn't. I don't expect that we'll have another Marlins and Cardinals outbreak the way we did in in July when things really looked bad and it looked like baseball wasn't going to be able to pull this off. They did pull it off. And so now I think, um, you know, there's a playbook that you can go by and kind of get your guys ready and and be healthy. And I think that if we don't have a vaccine, there's going to be cancellations. Like you're still going to have that it's still going to be 2020 ish, I think, but uh, maybe the way to put it is we've just been through it so long that we, we have a better idea of how to handle it. But I, I still think COVID is very much going to be in the picture. And so to answer your question there, I, I think that when the Yankees sit down and they look at a DJ LeMayhew, who I think we all agree the Yankees should resign in a perfect world. Like he makes the Yankees better. And um, he's been their MVP for the last two years. And it's hard to imagine this team being better without DJ, like put it that way. Now, now I think we all agree on that. Now are the dollars there for DJ? And, you know, if we're talking that going to be seeking 20 million a year or 25 over four years, five years. Um, now the idea is that sure. Um, you know, five years down the road, COVID should be in the rearview mirror and we should have a vaccine and everything will be fine. But as far as 2021, do the Yankees, do the Steinbrenners have that flexibility to spend that money? And I, I guess the one good thing I would say about that is, uh, well, I guess two, uh, spending is probably going to be down around the league, except with maybe the exception of like a Steve Cohen who comes in and just wants to really make a splash if he takes over the Mets here. But on the other hand, um, the Yankees do have a lot of money coming off the books. And one thing that the Steinbrenners have always been very, very good about is reinvesting that money into the team instead of putting it in their pockets. And so um, the last time I ran the numbers, they have something like $75 million coming off. If we look at, say, a Jay Happ and, uh, you know, Brett Gardner and Tanaka's coming off. So if you want to find all that money for a DJ LeMayhew, you can do it. I, I just think that they're not going to be able to make much more than one big move. And so if I were Brian Cashman, that would be my move. But uh, there's a reason he's in that chair and I'm not. I kind of wonder what the pacing is going to look like this year. I wonder, you know, if you're a player agent, if you try to be one of the first to sign this year instead of waiting at the market a little bit just because of the uncertainty, both of what the financial system looks like as we get to the new year and as we get closer to February, but also just knowing that, you know, there is probably less money in the market this year than you might expect. Yeah, I think so. And and I think it's like any under any other industry, whether you're um, you know, running a restaurant or, or a major league baseball team. I think that you're just bringing in less money right now. You have less to play with. So um, there, there's probably one or maybe two power moves that each team can make, uh, is able to make. And, you know, I hate to, to bring this up too, but there's the cloud of the CBA expiring after 2021. And there's more uncertainty in that. So it, it's not just the the COVID situation, which we're all kind of guessing, you know, Hal was on the radio with Mike Bouquet and said he was asked if, if he thinks fans will be 
in the stands for opening day. And his response, I thought it was great. It was said, I have no idea and neither do you. And he's right. Um, so, you know, um, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we will see um, fans in the stands again down at Steinbrenner Field for spring training. They're planning as though it's going to happen that way. We've seen a spring training schedule. But, you know, I, I feel like much like – this season was moved around when it had to be. Remember that first week where the Yankees were supposed to play the Phillies and then they didn't, and then they instead they went to Baltimore? I think you, we're just going to have another year where you're adjusting on the fly, and that's going to be in all respects, not just uh, on the field. And I think it's always important to realize as we're having these discussions, you know, both from a very serious perspective of this is kind of small potatoes compared to what the world's going through, but also if you just look at what the sports world is doing right now, you know, the Big Ten, everything in, is in flux right now because of Wisconsin. After one game, suddenly now they're losing games. However many, they've canceled one game. Maybe it's going to be more because of the number. And, and, and my point being, it's just, I don't think sports fans can necessarily look forward to a ton of good news between now and February. And I think every time one of those things happens, it's going to have an effect on the market. And I don't mean just in terms of free agent signings. I mean, as you've said, in terms of just how teams are positioning themselves for 2021, how they're writing out their budgets, how they're writing out their plans. I mean, one thing that I don't want to make too big a deal of it because I don't know if it actually ends up being a big deal, but the Yankees aren't having instructs this year. I don't know when or if the Yankees are truly going to open up their Tampa facility in the way that's that's normal, where players can kind of come and go as they please over the course of the offseason. I, I don't know the answer to that. And so all these things are going to play into what the 2021 team ends up looking like. We lost, obviously, a year of development of a lot of our minor league Mm -hmm. players, league-wide. Well, how do you start getting that back, and how do you start evaluating what it is you lost over the course of this past year in terms of those players who are maybe not knocking on the door of the major leagues yet, but maybe knocking on the door of AAA and maybe getting kind of close in that regard? Yeah, right. You don't. You didn't have, except for your top prospects, your your Esteban Floreals and your Davey Garcias and guys like that. Um, you know, ten percent of the baseball world across the league was playing this year, and the other ninety percent was sitting on their couch playing Xbox or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's not time you can get back. The one thing I would say from the Yankee perspective everybody was in the same boat. It's not like the Yankees decided not to have a minor league team and uh, everybody else kept playing. It just wasn't an option. So, um, you know, it's just going to kind of be part of the landscape where most of the baseball world is going to be coming back from a year off. And and there'll probably be a rash of injuries that go along with that. We certainly saw it uh, this year with the ramp up, the ramp down, coming back in summer camp, guys were getting hurt. Um, It's just... You know, the players are, are creatures of habit and you're you're used to setting your calendar on that six months. And when you didn't have that, I think it's going to be tough. So um, I, I guess that's what I would say to that is that everybody's in the same boat. I, I think the Yankees are one of only two teams that are not doing instructs. The Cardinals are the other. And so the 28 actually will be in action. Um, but I think that uh, the Yankees explanation, I saw Brian Cashman was quoted about this and he said that after what they went through with shutting down the Himes Avenue complex in Tampa, remember they had a couple guys testing positive in spring training and um, they, they really didn't want to be in another situation where they had to spring for 200 hotel rooms and uh, quarantine guys again. So um, I think that they wanted to keep guys working out on their home schedules and they'll get them back on the field in February when 
the rest of the, the baseball world is trying to have pitchers and catchers uh, report to Florida and Arizona. And just to put a button on that, I do think one other thing you have to talk about, it's not just obviously, you know, the Himes complex, it's also the Dominican. And, you know, yeah. you have a lot of kids there, kids who don't have the ability to, you know, work out on their pristine private facility or anything like that, who really rely on the team academy and the team facility. So that that's another thing to watch for. And I, and I look forward to getting more information for all 30 teams about how they're handling that situation. You know, Brian, before I let you go, and obviously, we're going to talk more over the course of this offseason. And I assume most of the times we talk, there'll be actually more news because it's not going to be the day the offseason began. But what, what are some of the early signs that you're watching the dominoes to fall maybe that will kind of give you a read to analyze kind of like how the market's moving and and what's kind of going on there well i guess the the first thing i would say is i want to see what the yankees do with their own free agents and you know i've talked a little bit about lemay hugh and i don't think that's going to be resolved quickly i I sense that given the the years he's had back to back i think he's going to hang out for a little while and see what his asking prices on the market after he made uh, two years at 24 and see if he can do better than that. I, I wonder what's going to happen with uh, qualifying offers that's coming up. I, I do suspect LeMahieu will turn it down. Uh, I wonder if Tanaka would. And um, so it, it's not as significant a pay cut. Maybe he gets a one-year deal and comes back. I don't know. Um, so I think that Tanaka has enjoyed his time with the Yankees. I don't sense that he's hungry to go and, live in another city and pitch for another team. So we'll see what happens there. And, um, you know, they've got some other interesting decisions to make in the next week or so. Zach Britton has an option that could be picked up. Otherwise, he could be a free agent. Uh, Brett Gardner, what's his future? You know, I think that Clint Frazier has done enough to earn an everyday opportunity. But Gardy is the, the, in a lot of ways, he's the heart and soul of that clubhouse. And so do you part ways with him? I don't sense that Gardy wants to go anywhere, but he knows that it's possible. and. Um, then, you know, to a lesser extent, there's an option on Jay Happ that they have to uh, make it a final decision on. But I, I would look at mostly what I'm interested in is what do they do with DJ, Tanaka, Zach Britton, and Gardy? And, um, you know, I think the answers to that will set the tone for a lot of the rest of the offseason. And, you know, like I said, if they've only got one or two big moves that they can make, um, then maybe you're not going after a Trevor Bauer. Maybe you're just going to um, you know, go for a LeMahieu and then call it a day and, and really just try and build around that. I'm not sure. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think that uh, Brian Cashman and the, the Yankees are quite sure yet either, which is why they're having their meetings. Awesome. I, I think you're right about that. Brian, I appreciate you taking the time today. I, uh, I know that our readers and our listeners are going to love hearing from you every time you check in this off season. So be well, best to, best to Connie and the kids, and we will speak to you soon. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. And to all of you, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast that Bucky hosts. The most, most recent episode, we had Nick Swisher. You will not be surprised to hear it was high energy and fun, so give it a listen. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email podcast at yankees.com and for my yankees magazine subscribers you should have received a special gift from us in the mail the 2020 official new york yankees yearbook that does not count against your subscription it's just a little thing from us to say thank you for sticking with us during what was a difficult year if you have any questions you can always call 800 go yanks or head over to yankees.com slash publications for more information and to start a new subscription buy a back issue maybe even gift somebody who's a huge fan 
Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.